Hey everyone, this is Jason Phillips, and you're listening to the Airborne Mind Show. Hey guys, Ms. Bahawk here. Thank you so much for joining me today and welcome back to the show. So before we get started, make sure you head over to theairbornemind.com. Check out some of the cool coaching videos. We've got a hip mobility warm-up, shoulder stability warm-up, uh, glute ham development session, and a couple checklists and guides as well. So go see what's most relevant to you. And uh, if you are more active on social, uh, make sure you give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, uh, and YouTube. Okay, so lots of cool coaching videos rolling out in the near future. Um, so you'll stay posted and updated with that. Once again, that is uh, theairbornemind.com, and the handles for social is at airbornemind. Now, today's episode is brought to you by audible.com. So if you head over to theairbornemind.com forward slash reading list, you can see a list of all the books that previous guests have recommended on the show. You can also get a free audiobook and 30-day free trial from audible.com there as well. So once again, that is theairbornemind.com forward slash reading list. So today we get to chat with Jason Phillips. There's multiple reasons why I'm excited for this episode, but one of them being that he has been in the nutrition coaching industry for over 13 years at this point. He's worked with physique competitors, he has worked with the everyday athlete, and he's too humble to name drop, so I'll do it for him, but he's worked with Sarah Sigmund's daughter, Brent Fakowski, and if you've ever heard of Mission 6 Nutrition, he's the founder of that supplement company as well. Back in the day, he was an Abercrombie and Fitch model. He was signed by Optimum Nutrition. He was a spokesmodel for bodybuilding.com. He's given talks at Google, and he was also a professional golfer at one point. So this guy has done a lot. And when I think of Jason, I think of action, action and application. And I think we could all use a little bit more of that in our lives. So we get to dig into you know, a high performer's head and kind of see how he's wired, how he thinks, uh, and what we can kind of learn from him. He's been through a lot, and this was truly a wonderful conversation. So with that being said, please enjoy. Jason, welcome to the show, man. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, dude, I've been wanting to do this one for a long time, so I'm glad that we're doing it. Dude, I am so excited because uh, you are somebody who I think can and and does you facilitate change you know and and there's certainly an art to that uh and so i don't think we should take that for granted but uh something that you've been able to deeply kind of uh, connect with people and i think has been maybe a contributing factor to what drives you to do what you do today is back when you were an abercrombie and fitch model um you battled with an eating disorder <laughs> and i think you developed a deep sense of empathy at that point you know which uh gives you kind of an edge when it comes to like connecting with people on all sorts of levels so could you tell us a little bit about that time yeah you know in all fairness it was uh it was a pretty dark time um you know Kind of, if you rewind before that, right? Like my background was, I was a as an athlete, and I'll use that term super loosely because I was a golfer. Okay. Um, and you know, I, I, my senior year of high school, I was really good, and everyone was like, "Oh, you're gonna go pro!" And you know, I played in like the AJGA stuff, and like so, it was like that was my life, man. Like I was, you know, a skinny kid that went to school, and you know, 
all I wanted to do was leave school, go to the golf course, you know, practice. And, like, literally, dude, my senior year of high school, I didn't go to school on Monday, and I was always traveling to tournaments. And so, like, coming out of school, I got injured, and I just kind of, like, lost my identity. Like, I didn't have any self, and, like, I, truthfully, the whole gym thing happened because I was in the rehab setting. Um, and so combined with, you know, being approached to model for Abercrombie and being in the gym and actually falling in love with weightlifting, um, that's actually where it all became. But then it, it became like a very unhealthy obsession. And, um, you know, looking back on it now, it was largely related to the misinformation that was being put out by the media. You know, mm-hmm. so the story I always tell is, you know, when I was in Abercrombie, they were like, Hey, we love your look. Like, just send us pictures, but you gotta have, you gotta have abs, like show us your abs. Right. And I was like, well, holy shit, man, like, I don't have abs, so, like, I better figure this thing out really quickly. And so I'm, like, asking everybody, I'm like, how do I get abs, how do I get abs? And, you know, I remember my, my pediatrician at the time, he was a family friend, he was like, you know, go read, like, men's health and men's fitness and muscle and fitness, and, and you know, they've all got nutrition articles, and it's, it's all nutrition. And so I remember, like, reading these articles, and all it said was, don't eat this, don't eat that, don't eat this, and... And I, I knew what I shouldn't be eating, but there was nothing out there telling me what I should do. Right. And, you know, looking back and digging deep even further, it's like it was all templated advice and it was just very general and it, it absolutely had no specific application to me and my unique situation. Um, and and so, you know, I, I that definitely was a root cause. I mean, obviously there's nervous system, you know, mental issues that, um, you know, come with that. And so I, I won't blame articles hundred percent, but, you know, as I slowly came out of that and as I started helping more and more people, I made a commitment to myself that I'm going to fix this piece of the industry. And, and I'm never going to allow that to hurt another person or put them in the place that I once was with my relationship with food. Um, and, and that really is the strongest driver of what I do today. Yeah, man. And I feel like, you know, we have this viewpoint when we kind of look at you or we look at people that we admire, like, you know, Jason is the shit. He coaches elite athletes. He looks like a stud, super successful. Um, But I'm curious, like, do a lot of these mental demons um, kind of uh, have have you reached a point where you've kind of solved it? Because I feel like people look at it where, you know, you reach the peak and you're kind of just staying there. But I'm curious if that is actually the case or do you feel like certain tendencies and emotions still kind of pop up for you that you have to manage? So, I'll, I, you know, I, I have this conversation with a client when I was in Chicago, um, when I was speaking at Google, right? And we were He's like, how do you go from where you once were to where you are today? And I think that the truth of like overcoming it is you just, you learn to understand and like you have comprehension as to kind of how everything works. And I would almost argue I know too much for my own good relative to that. But I think that I, I have trust in the process, but I have trust because I've been through the process. Mm. And so like the story I'll tell is like, you know, when I, when I came out of anorexia, there was somebody that was like, Hey, you got to you got to go and you got to eat 4,000 calories a day. For whatever reason, I put blind trust into this person and I did it. And I remember waking up like a week and a half later being like, Oh, I'm I'm not fat. Like this whole thing, it works. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and then you fast forward like a year later and I went away to college and you know, I, I tried to be like a normal college kid. Like I certainly didn't want to admit to like my guy friends that, I had had an eating disorder because, you know, that's not manly and that wouldn't be cool for a college kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, they would want to go for pizza at night or they would want to go for like Chipotle. And I was like, well, I, you know, I remember you literally being scared shitless. Like, oh my God, this one meal is going to make me fat because those are the anorexic tendencies. 
And so, you know, I, I bit the bullet, I ate the pizza, I ate the Chipotle. I remember waking up the next day, looking in the mirror and being like, oh, it didn't make me fat, right? And so now I trust in these foods, like, okay, it's, those don't make me fat. Right. Um, now I've been in the industry 13 years, worked with physique competitors. I know how almost every food affects your physique. And, and so some of it now is my level of comprehension is so high that, you know, if, I'm, if I deviate on my own nutritional protocol, um, you know, I know what it's going to do. I know what to expect. I know how to fix it. So, um, but that's all like knowledge. Like I, I wouldn't say that from a, from a mentality standpoint that don't still go there at times, because I think that anyone that ever has an eating disorder, it's a nervous system disorder. So I don't really ever think that you fully overcome it. I think you're always going to have the thoughts. It's how you manifest those thoughts. That's going to determine your outcomes. What do you think usually sparks that change for people? Because I, I think what I've heard, like maybe Tony Robbins and other people who are pretty well versed in like behavior and psychology talk about is like extreme pain. When you feel extreme pain, uh, you know, like whatever, you get into a car accident, a family member passes away, or maybe extreme sure. pleasure, like, uh, you know, you have a baby that's born. Those are kind of the moments where you get really real with yourself and that's when you actually start taking action and change. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think from, you know, and, and Tony talks a lot more about self-help and I'm a, I'm a huge Tony Robbins fan. Um, and having been to, you know, the eating disorder for me brought about periods of depression. And so I think that that's absolutely applicable. I'm not sure what it is with the food. Like as much as I would love to be like, you know, there's this defining point where you're, you know, you're so like over it, so to speak. Um, I'm not really sure that's how it is with food because I, I really think there's like the whole time you have this eating disorder in my, in my personal experience, and I can't speak for everybody that's had one. Like I, I was aware that I was not doing it right, but I was so afraid of doing it differently. And there has to be a catalyst of trust and the, the process has to be so like it, you have to care for it at such a deep level and there has to be like a level of caring from somebody on the outside as well as yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and so I don't know if it's this place of pain. There absolutely is a massive amount of pain that comes with it. But I'm not sure if it's the same as like self-help where the pain is what drives the course of action of coming out. Right. Um, I think it's finally finding something that you trust and truly believe that allows you to do it. Um, I would argue that's more a catalyst of success. Okay. Now, do you, I'm curious, do you think that, you know, there's a lot of people that are maybe walking around with like undiagnosed eating disorders? Oh, so, so eating disorders are really like tricky word, right? I would, I will definitely 100% say there's a lot of people walking around with very poor relationships with food. Ah, that's um, I would argue 85% of the people that come to me, um, have very poor relationships with food but that's and, and again right that's like that's kind of being you know one of these situations where like the media puts that out oh you were good for six days um okay well then go and have uh you know go and have a cheat meal right so that's okay. kind of uh you know like and, and that's a really shitty way to look at food Right. Um, okay. So you you uh, battled with this eating disorder. You decided to do something about it. When did you realize that you wanted to be a nutrition coach? And when were you actually like, okay, I am a nutrition coach? So I knew like right when I came out of anorexia, 
that like, man, this is, I love this. Like I'm borderline obsessed with this. I want to know everything about it. And I, I remember being in school at Florida state and helping people not because I wanted to be a nutrition coach, but I was so passionate about this thing that had like changed my life. And I'm like, man, I gotta, I gotta tell you about it. Like it, it changed my life, dude. Like I need to, I need to show you the way because my life is so much better now. And, and so I don't think at that time I was like, man, I'm, I'm going to be a nutrition coach. Um, I was like, I'm just talking to you about something I love. And, you know, so I did the school thing. I actually left school. I did pursue a career in professional golf. Um, I turned pro. I wasn't very good. So I lost that status very quickly. And, you know, I, I just, the underlying tone was I was always looking into fitness. Like at the time it was like bodybuilding and, you know, that whole like mainstream fitness side. And, and so after I turned pro and after I kind of like ran up my time on tour, um, I actually, I was in very good shape for a golfer. Um, I did a photo shoot and optimum nutrition signed me. And at the same time, I got a lot of exposure from bodybuilding.com. And so I was one of their first ever spokesmodels. And at that time, um, you know, everybody online started reaching out to me for help through this space, through like the site called body space. And I was like, well, you know, I, I guess I can do this. And honestly, man, it, it found me. I didn't find it. Like, I think that by me putting my passion out there, people were like, wow, this guy he really enjoys what he does. And, um, you know, he probably could help me. And, and it kind of built itself to be honest. That's really interesting. So you had no intention of kind of, uh, you know, really diving into nutrition coaching. It kind of found you. A hundred percent. And then you, once it found me, then I'm like, okay, I started, like I saw the space and I'm like, okay, I need to do this because there's so much bad information out there. Um, but the, the very like genesis of it was it found me. Absolutely. So something that stands out to me about you, I've, I've uh, when I've reached out to you before with some questions, uh, you've mm -hmm. given me some questions that have made me really think. And I've seen you post on <clears throat> Instagram about this before as well. But uh, you, you talk a lot about the one thing. And I'm curious, does this stem from the book um, by Gary, Gary Keller? It does not. No. Okay. All right. So tell me, tell me a little. In any way. Okay. Tell me a little bit more about this one thing and why it's so important to you. So the one thing for me is like I firmly believe every single person listening to this right now, and every single person out there knows they could identify one thing right now that would move them forward in their life. Right. Like I mm -hmm. don't know what your problems are. I don't know what your goals are. I don't know what your ambitions are. But I guarantee you, if you took ten seconds to think, there's one thing you could be doing better right now. And, you know, when I first wanted to be successful, right, like I, I had a fitness business and all that stuff, I was like, I got to do this and I got to do that and I got to do this. And there was like a hundred things I needed to do. And I, I became, you know, paralyzed by the thought of it being so much. And when I started making it really simple, I was like, all right, if I do this one thing today, then I'll do one more thing tomorrow. Like everything became better. Um, and so recently um, I was turned on to this thing called the five minute journal um, by Mark Fit. Mm -hmm. And, so I've started using it every day and it's very simple. Like there's three things that you write every day that you're going to do. And I find it really clears the mind. Now my one thing was prior to finding this, but coincidentally it's very much, you know, the same school of thought. Um, I think that people are focused so much on the big picture instead of actually going out and taking one simple action. Mm -hmm. And above all else, like action is what leads to success in any endeavor. Right. And so if we broke it down to a dietary thing, like so many people are like, well, I need the perfect macros. Like not really, you don't need the perfect macro, the perfect macros. You need to do one thing better. And for a large majority of Western civilization, that could be like cut out soda, 
and you know you take an obese person, you cut out soda, they're probably going to lose 10 pounds. Great. That one thing actually led to results. Now, what's the next one thing we can do? Oh, let's get your protein intake adequate. Okay, cool. There's another 10 pounds gone. Now let's get you, you know, getting in 30 minutes of exercise a day. There's another 10 pounds gone, right? And so, but if I told you on day one, you have to cut soda and you have to get more protein and you have to exercise 30 minutes a day, you'd probably look back and be like, fuck you. That's too much of a change. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's just, it's a simplification of, of, you know, ultimately continuous action. I think it also gives you uh, a chance to kind of gain credibility with yourself um, because I've heard uh, Chase Jarvis talk about this before. He ha- he uses something called the habit list. And essentially what it is is he kind of compiled the 10 things that he can do every day that are such super, super small actions but that are kind of all-encompassing in his life that make him feel like he's operating at like 100% of his capacity. And so I'm sure I don't know exactly what those details are, but for me when I started kind of thinking about this, it's like, you know, my nutrition habits aren't by any means, you know, amazing or anything like that. So for me, what this has been about four weeks since I've been doing this, but I was like, okay, what makes me feel really, really good? Um, like I'm actually making progress when it comes to nutrition. And I know that mm-hmm. if I start following, you know, um, counting my macros or doing any of those things that um, everybody recommends, like it's not sustainable for me at this stage. So what I started sure. doing was uh, I started making the Hulk shake. Right. And the Hulk shake, something Joe Rogan talks about. I'm sure there's so many ways you can optimize that shake. But essentially what it is mm-hmm. is just a shit ton of greens. Right. And so yep. for me, it's like a mental way for me to win every day and be like, you know what? I had my greens for the day. Like I'm making progress. And I guess That's once cute. that locks in, I guess, after a couple of weeks, then you can kind of take the next step. And so now it's something that I guess is a little more sustainable. Right. Yeah. Well, it's like, I mean, and if you think about exactly what you just said, I mean, apply that to any other facet of life, like, you know, um, building a house. You don't think of, I mean, like at some point, yes, you have to build a foundation. You have to put the walls up. You got to put drywall in. You got to put insulation. You have to put the roof on. You got to paint. You got to decorate, right? But unless you do the foundation first, nothing happens. And so the one thing on day one is build the foundation. And so what I get is I guess so many people are coming to me like, Hey man, like I need the perfect macros and the timing and the supplementation. And, um, you know, how long are we going to be in this phase for? And then how long is the next phase? And, and they're all very valid questions because I understand they're coming from a great place of wanting to see success. What I need to get a client to do is focus on today and right now and this meal. And if this meal is in line with our goals, great. Then the next meal needs to be in line with our goals and the next meal and the next decision and the next action. And if you start living so much in the present, instead of in any other time frame, like you will always be successful. It's, it's, it has to happen. Absolutely. Um, so something that I, I've heard you mention on the uh, Train Heroic podcast, which I think if you're a coach or a trainer, you should absolutely go check that episode out. It's uh, extremely beneficial. But uh, you mentioned that people criticized your business model early on and didn't think that you yeah. could scale and grow. Um, could yeah. you explain that a little bit more? Like what was that? Yeah, so, you know, I came I came to, like, this internet coaching space, and, like, I don't claim to be, like, well, I used to not claim to be, like, the smartest business person in the world, and, you know, and I, I didn't come to it with, like, again, I didn't get into this, like, man, I want a, a million-dollar business or, or anything like that, right? Like, I 100% genuinely was like, I want to get in this, and I want to help people. And so I started doing that. And, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious that from a coaching standpoint, there's two ways you can grow revenue. You can take on more clients or you can charge more money. Um, 
at some point you lose time in a day if you're taking on too many clients. And at some point there's a point of diminishing returns as to what people will pay. Mm -hmm. So the model, they're like, well, you can't do it. Like you, you have to automate some of it or you have to start working with people where you don't interact with them. Well, I'm not a believer that macros are the real driver of success. I'm a believer that coaching drives success. And I think that if you surveyed all of the clients, the reason that they would tell you they're as successful as they are is because of the accountability they have with me, but the relationships that we built. You know, they can text me 24-7 and I'll text them back. They can, you know, we get on the phone every 10 to 12 days. Um, you know, we're constantly talking and, you know, it's, you know, protein, carbs, and fats or proteins, carbs, and fats. You know, anybody could give you those numbers, but finding out why you have a mental hurdle as to why you can't implement, like that's real success. Like, that's real magic. And so, you know, everyone's like, oh, you got to automate and you got to do this and that. That was never my thing. Like I, I couldn't wrap my head around it. And I remember vividly sitting in a room um, and I, I'll say who it was. I was in a room like Pedro Schoolian and Craig Ballantyne. And, you know, super well-known, like fitness entrepreneurs, both very wealthy, very successful. And it's like, you know, hey, if, uh, you know, if I told you you had to rate a diet for everyone in this room, like done to your head, you could do it. And I'm like, actually, I couldn't. Like, that's the thing. I'm so neurotic and I'm so meticulous with every prescription that I write that I could not do it. Like, I would have to walk around and ask every single one of these people 100 questions before I could attempt to write their individual prescription. And I would feel really bad if I didn't do it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, in the internet model, they're like, oh, we'll just write one prescription. And, you know, if, if 10 people see success out of 100, that's great. And, and that's not okay with me. Like, I fully recognize people are spending their hard-earned money on this, and, and I want to guarantee the success. So, um, you know, I think here we are today, and I've got a coaching staff of 10 people. Um, I think I've proved them all wrong. Oh, absolutely. And how, how would you say you made that work? Was there patience? I'm assuming a lot of patience involved and you maybe took the slower route um, yeah. in a sense, right? Yeah, I would I would argue I scaled slower than anybody, but I always, you know, I'm a, I'm a Gary Vee fanboy through and through. Um, and, you know, he preaches patience and he preaches just staying in your own lane. And I said, this is the only way I know how to do it. So even if I deviated from that, and, and it had like, you know, an application that could have been successful, I would not have been successful with it because it's not how my mind works. So I stayed in my lane, I did it my way and I continued to refine the approach. And, um, you know, I just started identifying, you know, people that I thought were good people. And so I get the question all the time, well, how did you grow your staff? Honestly, like everybody that has, that works for me, they're the first key thing they have to have is I have to really genuinely believe you're a good person. Mm-hmm. I definitely can teach you the skill set, right? Like the nutritional knowledge that's out there, it's in textbooks. I have the application after 13 years. Um, I can teach you that. I can't teach you to be a good person and I can't teach you to not be an asshole. And, and unfortunately, there's a lot of really smart people that are just dickheads and they suck as, they, like they would suck as a coach and that wouldn't be a fit for my team. Um, whereas you give me the nicest person in the world with zero nutrition knowledge, I'll take them because I can teach them the knowledge. They're going to be an awesome person. They're going to, that's amazing yeah um so we're going to come back to that macros and and coaching concept in a little bit but i want to touch on you've mentioned before that you're you know gary uh, vaynerchuk fanboy and you've you know gotten to chat with him yeah. and, and lewis Howes and all these yeah. people who are fascinating right and have had big impacts yeah. uh what have you kind of learned from them what's the biggest takeaway so you know the, the cool thing about like the i'll tell the story like with gary is you know i I'm a big believer, as I've said already a hundred times in this podcast, you got to take action. And so I, you know, Gary was putting out his book like a little over, it was about a year ago now. 
and you know he did he was doing this book launch with Andy Frisella at First Form, and they said there's going to be like four VIP tickets available, and you're not going to want to miss this opportunity. And I vividly remember, man, I was coming down the escalator at Mandalay Bay, and I get this email alert that the pre-sale tickets are on sale, and there's four of them, and they were five thousand dollars a piece, and like. I like I never buy anything on my phone because I'm just like sketched out about people getting my shit on like public networks. Right. Um, but I was like, I'm doing it, and I bought it like right then and there. Didn't think twice about it. Five thousand dollars a lot of money. Like I don't care how much money you make, it's still a lot of money. And I was like, but I'm doing this. Like I have to be in a room with this guy. And so what I was promised was like you know this meeting with the four of us that bought VIP tickets with Andy and Gary for two hours, and it was supposed to be from like eight to ten. Dude, we went from 8 a.m. to, or 8 p.m. till 2.30 a.m. Wow. And the only reason it stopped at 2.30 is because we all had flights at 4 a.m. leaving St. Louis. And, you know, so Gary over-delivered, like, to a whole new level. And and I think that if you just watch what he does, he gives everything away. And I've, I've always been this believer, and I've sat in mastermind settings and business settings where I'm like, you know, people ask me, how can I grow my business quickly? And I'm like, dude, just give. Find a way to make everyone else's day better. Find a way to help somebody because at the end of the day, business is about creating solutions. And if you can truly make someone understand that you care for them, and it has to be a genuine caring, right? Like you can't bullshit them and be like, oh, I care for you, but give me your money. Like, right. no, like you got to literally give a shit. Like, but if you genuinely go out there and you care about people, like it's going to come to you. And, and I have the ability and I have the confidence that yes, I can, I can deliver better than anybody because of the amount of time and effort I'll put in. But I'm, I also, like you said, like I'm out there, I'm constantly putting out content and I know the way you and I connected, you heard me on a podcast, you sent me an email and like, it matters to me if you send me an email like that I respond right. and that I respond with like actual thoughts, not like, Hey bro, thanks for the email to you later. Like, no, like there was actually, I, you know, I don't even remember what our email interaction was, but I, I actually think it was something about this podcast. And I was like, you know, like whatever it is, you gotta go do that one thing and just crush that one thing. And like, if you ever need me, like email me again. And there's actually a lot of relationships I started that way um, with people that have just reached out. And so, you know, I don't care how busy I get. Um, I'll never be as busy as Gary Vaynerchuk. And the fact that he can answer DMs on Instagram and messages on Facebook and pick up the phone and call people. Like, if he can do that, we all can do it. So there's no reason we shouldn't all be just over delivering. Oh, absolutely. I think that, you know, when you reach out to somebody like that, that you hear on a podcast, and that's, uh, you're really fascinated by, if that person takes the time to, you know, write you back, it's almost like you're shocked, right? Like you sent them this message, message <laughs> that you didn't think that like they were gonna respond to, but they did. And so now you just there's kind of a deeper connection there. And, and you never know, like what that can turn into. Like, I never thought I don't know if it was at that stage, uh, that like, you'd be on the podcast so soon. But I'm like, Oh, my God, this is fucking awesome. Jason Phillips is here, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, and it's so funny that you say that. I'm just like, well, who am I? Like, you know, and, and I don't ever think like that, right? I'm just like, well, it's just another dude that, you know, I just moved to Florida and whatever. But, you know, I, I just, the notion that, like, we email people and then we're amazed that they respond. Because, listen, I, I mean, if I email Gary, I'm still amazed that he responds because of who he is and what he does. But, you know, it's like, man, like, we're, we're all human beings, right? Whether you're Gary Vaynerchuk worth almost a billion dollars or, you know, somebody that's got a net worth of $10. Like, it doesn't matter. We're all human beings. We all should be on this earth trying to deliver positivity. My gift is clearly in the nutritional world. And so if I'm not using that gift to pay it forward, then, um, you know, it's, it's pointless to even have it. And, um, 
I, I just, I don't know, man. Like I, I'm so humbled by the opportunities to meet cool people, to see the success that comes of it that I just, I can't picture living life a different way. It's just, that's what I do. Yeah. I think it, it comes back to that thing we were talking about before we started recording about planting the seed for people. And you yeah. know, it's something like you kind of, uh, me hearing, you know, a couple sentences from you, even as, you know, as simple as that might be, like for me, that led into a variety of different, uh, like a rabbit hole of action, right? And you never know yeah. what that might be for somebody. But uh, it's cool to know that, you know, maybe by saying hello, maybe by asking somebody how they're feeling, how their day was, whatever, like you could, you could do something for them um, that you might not see right away, but it's a good feeling that you were kind of a part of it in some way and you were able to plant that seed. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, like one of the coaches that just started working for me, I'll never forget, like she actually reached out and she inquired about my member, my mentorship. And like, I didn't even have to think twice because she was a current client. So I knew who she was, the kind of person she was. And she's like, you know, am I a good fit? Like I've never done this before. And I was like, I didn't have to think twice right away. I'm like, you're an amazing fit because you're such a quality individual. And, you know, she was just like, your belief in me is what really drove me to, to think I could do this. And so it's like, just that simple action of, of giving someone your belief in them is what drove her to, now she works for me and she sent me an email this morning. She's like, thanks for, you know, giving me the best career I could ever have. And it's like that one sentence was the catalyst to all of this for her. And that's amazing. That is amazing, man. Um, okay, let's let's touch on the macros and coaching concept that we kind of did before. Sure. Um, so what you said, I, I absolutely agree with because – you know, the numbers and all those things like you could essentially and we've I know you've talked about how the online calculators aren't like the end all be all, but essentially you could get a start from searching up all this information for free. Right. Like we mm -hmm. know we, we know there's so much out there, even a lot of the stuff that you've talked about in other podcasts. But it's the it, you're right. It's the mental hurdle of like, why am I not doing this? Why am I not taking the next step? Right. So yep. when somebody, uh, I guess, comes to you uh, for nutrition coaching, what are some things that you're kind of digging into so the my, my biggest issue with calculators in general is that it you know there's a limited number of variables that you can take in with a calculator like if i was to try to build a piece of technology it would have to be predicated on on variables right like it's, it's very much an if this then that scenario right and and that's all well and good but there's so many variables that are not quantifiable they're you know it's uh, they're qualitative and so your online calculator doesn't know your previous metabolic history. It doesn't know if you have metabolic adaptation. It doesn't know if you've previously had an eating disorder. It doesn't know your relationship with food. And those are all things that have to be considered in the manner it was implemented, right? So like the best example I can give anybody is like, let's just take the average like 150 pound female, wants to lose some weight, um, put her in an online calculator. She works out three to four times a week, uh, you know, and it spits out 2,200 calories for weight loss. And that's great. Like that's not a terrible starting prescription by the numbers. But then what you don't know is, well, her current intake is a thousand calories in college. She had an eating disorder because she was a gymnast and, uh, you, she never really recovered. She binges like twice a week, but on average her calorie intake is like 800 to 1000. Now all of a sudden is that 2200 number applicable? And of course it's not right. Like that's right. more than double her intake. It doesn't take into account her food. How do you necessarily get her to implement? Because those three numbers can make her massively obsessive. If she misses the numbers by like two grams, she can completely freak out. Um, and so, you know, the, the strategy has to become completely different. And so that's why I feel like so much of what's out there is so inadequate. Um, you know, and, and I think that's where 
my coaching model um, has come into play and where I've really like, I, I've gone so far as to say I'm not a nutritionist, I'm a nutrition coach. And I really like, I emphasize the words nutrition coach super hard. And my certification that comes out in July of this year revolves around becoming a nutrition coach. That's amazing, yeah. And what do you think it is about that word, right? Be- be- between coach versus like consulting versus nutritionist, like why is that so uh, so profound? I think I think that coaching involves working with an individual, understanding that individual's needs, understanding what makes them tick, understanding what can potentially set them up for success, but at the same time, what can set them up for failure. Um, and I think that if you're not understanding these things, you're not really working with that client. Right. You're working with a subset of feedback from that client. Mm-hmm. That's amazing, man. So, okay. Um, now, you you said something, and I think this is from the Train Heroic podcast as well, but you were talking about extreme performance versus extreme aesthetics and how you yeah. can't have both. And I want to tell you a huge pet peeve of mine. Something that really gets under my skin is when, like, People will watch the you know athletes on the CrossFit Games maybe and be like yeah. and take a look at the females right and be like oh yeah. they, they look like a man right and it's like yeah. what the hell goes through somebody's head to like say something like that and it's in what I what I've been able to kind of distill that down to is like the person watching obviously values aesthetics right and they don't understand that the person on the other end of the screen they. Um, you know, the athlete, they value extreme performance. They're not even like, that is not a concern for them of like, how am I going to look? Of course, like, I'm sure people deal with that, like that, uh, that body image issue, uh, because people are talking about it. But at the same time, it's like, uh, they're two completely different goals. And so I'm curious, because uh, the more I feel like the level of competition in CrossFit kind of keeps, um, you know, going up and up more people are dropping off, right? There's people who are realizing that like, they don't want to commit full time to, um, you know, comp- uh, full time to training and recovering and getting ready for uh, regionals, right? Like that's not a part of their right. why. And they're discovering that their why is like, okay, I want to look good naked. I want to breathe heavy. I want to sweat a lot. And I want to feel like I'm athletic. And I think what yep. happens is a lot of times when you people first started CrossFit, you know, they got into it with this, um, they, they did have this desire that they wanted to achieve a certain type of aesthetic. And that need yeah. has almost gone, like it's unmet and unfulfilled, right? So at some point, I think after maybe a year, two years, three years, you start to think like, okay, I've been doing this for a while, like, why am I not looking the way that I kind of want to, right? And there's nothing wrong with sure. that, absolutely. So I'm curious, right. when you come across these people, um, how do you help somebody find that nice balance between aesthetics and performance? Well, I think it's, it starts with a conversation. It starts with exactly what you just said, is creating a level of education. And so you'd be shocked, right? I get, we get tons of inquiries every day and of people that want to work with us. And there's a, a spot in my intake forms like, please describe your goals in detail. And... Uh, a lot of what we get is I want to lose weight and increase performance. And like, if you've ever been to one of my seminars, you've heard my seminar video online, like, you know, that's like the, one of the very first things I say is like, you've got in weight loss, like physiology states, you have to be in a caloric deficit performance. You have to be in at minimum caloric maintenance, but likely in a caloric surplus. So now like from a very fundamental understanding of physiology, you just told me that you want to do two things concurrently that require two completely different stimuli. Yeah. And that just doesn't work. 
so when I worked with a client, it's like, okay, great. Which do you want more? And which do you want now? And which can we put on hold? And then that's where I introduced the concept this last year of nutritional periodization. And that involves peaking for competition, taking at, like understanding in different times of the year that can be body composition priority. Um, you know, but like, for instance, right now the open, we're talking, you know, today it's Friday. It's officially like second day of the open. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you're not prioritizing recovery and fuel, you're crazy. Like if you're living in a calorie deficit this time of year, like you're just asking for decreased performance and it will show up in the workouts. But, you know, if I'm working with somebody that wants better aesthetics and performance, right now, the next five weeks is all performance. We'll take a period of time, we'll recover them, and then we'll go into an aesthetic phase. And, and so when you get the client to understand, hey, listen, I understand your goals. I 100% hear them. I think they're valid. I want to work with you on them. But understand that I'm also looking out for your health. I'm also looking out for your performance. That you've also articulated to me as important. Um, let's prioritize the performance right now because this is the time where we can and then let's work on body, and you will have the best of both worlds. Um, I, again, it's, it's that connection with the client. It's the coaching that I've talked about. It's, it's really understanding your work with them and, and explaining to them and helping them understand because another phrase that I've been coining this year is education drives compliance. Mm-hmm. And I think that the one thing most people don't do is take the time to educate their clients. When you educate your client as to the why, as to why we're doing this, Almost all the time, they will get on board and be like, yep, 100%. I get it. I'm on board. Let's do this. And then we get success. Absolutely. Now, okay, when we take this back to kind of that one thing, right? What is the one thing you think that people could do to kind of, um, you know, get closer to their nutrition goals, whether that might be performance or it might be aesthetics or somewhere in the middle? Like, what is that first step? First thing, right away, self-awareness. And I okay. say that on, on two ends of the spectrum. Number one, take a step back and revisit the conversation we just had. What do you really want, right? Mm-hmm. And so understand that if by you telling me you want better body composition, absolutely above everything else, that's your number one goal, then you're also saying, like, and, and whether you're verbally saying it or not, you, you are saying this, you care less about performance than aesthetics, right? Mm-hmm. And so get very self-aware with the fact that you just said that. And if that's cool, great. Just understand what you're setting yourself up for. But also get self-aware into, you know, your, your relationship with food and what's really holding you right now. And, and then, right, mm-hmm. what's one thing we can do to move forward? But until you're self-aware and you hold you back, that one thing really doesn't exist for you. Because to some people, right, they're, they're immune to it. They're like, well, I live perfectly. You know, I don't know what my one thing is. Right. Yeah, that that is so huge, man. The why is because let's say that, um, you know, to achieve that body composition, like maybe you have to uh, cut down on a certain type of workouts that you're doing, right? Maybe you're not working out as much, for example. Um, But at the same time, like if you you have to kind of make that decision at that point, like, okay, the way to make the best use out of my time and to achieve the highest results, technically, I might have to cut down a a day of working out or two days of working out. Am I willing to do that? Because that is essentially the cost. Which is blasphemy to most people listening to this. They're like, wait, I I would have to work out less to lose? And, And the answer is actually yes. But, um, you know, that's, that's a whole other rabbit hole that people are so afraid to go down. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, again, yes, 100%. And it comes down to self-awareness, right? Like, right. what are my goals? Like, what if, what if your desire in the gym supersedes your desire to lose weight? Like, that's another self-awareness piece. Right. And that's totally cool. Like, no one's going to think anything worse of you for saying, 
my desire is to potentially just have fun and be with my friends in the gym on a day-to-day basis. Like, that's an awesome goal. Like, there's a lot of people in this world that could benefit from that as a goal. But if that's your goal, also say that potentially you're not willing 100% to do 100% what it takes to get to your goals, right? And mm-hmm. so it's, it's always understanding what your goals are, what your actions mean, and what you're articulating to yourself. Um, and that's the huge self-awareness piece comes in. I love that, man. Let's go down that rabbit hole, actually, of that um, having to you know, sometimes work out less if you are trying to lose weight. How does, exactly does that work? So the, the biggest thing we've got to understand, like Western civilization, we've, we've gotten to this, well, we know it's right, a more is better type civilization. And, and so some working out was good, creating some of a caloric deficit is great. Well, then let's just go all in, let's create this calorie deficit and get these big body composition changes and, and it's going to happen even faster and it's going to be more pronounced. And like, you know, in theory, that's awesome. But in practical application, what we see is the body actually goes towards like a metabolically adapted scenario or an overtrained scenario or an inability to produce hormone scenario. Mm. Um, and so what we see specifically with CrossFit, right, the demands are super intense. It's a very large central nervous system component. Um, and in a world that doesn't prioritize nutrition or recovery or, you know, sleep, uh, we're, we're in an environment where there's been a severe lack of recovery, and that's actually causing the body to go into some sort of defense mode. Um, and, you know, that's a very oversimplified version as to what it really is. But in that defense mode, that's where our bodies are actually holding on to body fat to survive versus actually living in its normal metabolic processes, burning off that fat as a byproduct of being at a deficit um, because the deficit's too extreme, the demands of life are too extreme, and you know, that's where, you know, our bodies don't change. And then you see someone, you're like, hey, take a week off. And they're like, oh, my God, like, yeah. my abs are better after a whole week off. Well, yeah, like, you know, I, the way I've started explaining is I call it bridging the gap. And the gap is what I'm identifying as your current intake um, and your output. And there's, there's absolutely a gap there. And, and finding success is, like, is perfecting that gap. But most people need to close that gap. Most people's gap is far too big. Um, I would argue 90% of people that come to me, the simple solution is to eat a little bit more. Um, but then there is a 10% of people that need to back off the, the volume of training or perhaps the intensity of training. So you do think that a lot of people are uh, under-eating? Uh, I would argue, and 90%, that's a conservative number. Wow. Um, I, could, I could argue 95 to 97%. And you're saying this is for, even for people who are trying to lose weight, uh, they're probably 100%. under-eating as well. This is, this is anybody in general, regardless of what their goal is coming to me. Wow. So, and, and so to, the first step to kind of, I guess, figuring that out is maybe, um, I'm assuming like getting it down on paper, logging what you're yeah. actually kind of eating. Yeah. So when I do a seminar, I, you know, usually it comes about halfway through and I'll, I'll stop and I'm like, you know, if you heard me ramble all day and you hated everything I said, please take this one thing with you. And I'll say the same thing for the podcast. If you get nothing else out of today, Create that self-awareness. Go home, log your food for like five days, put it into an app like a MyFitnessPal, and figure out how many calories are you taking in, how much proteins, carbs, and fats are you taking in, and fiber, and how much water are you drinking. Because that can be a really good stage to move you forward and create success. But if you don't know those things, you have no ability to move you forward. Right. That's that's kind of like the base. Like you could be getting headaches and things like that because maybe you're not drinking enough water, but you think you're drinking enough water, but you don't really know until it's yeah. actually down on paper. It's like the standard like guy, right? That, hey, I want to gain weight. Okay, cool. Well, you need to eat more. But bro, I eat a lot. 
And, <laughs> that was that was and then, me. And, it, and then you look at and then you look at Bro's food log, and it's like, well, he didn't eat all day, but he had pizza. So he has pizza. He eats a lot. It's right. sixteen hundred calories. I'm like, dude, like my, you know, my girlfriend eats more than you. So yeah. That's funny, man. All right, cool. So I want to switch gears a little bit and get uh, a little more personal with some of my yeah, uh, version it. of rapid fire questions. But um, okay, let's. Uh, what is something that you think that most of us take for granted? Time. Okay, I agree with that. Um, hundred percent time, dude. I mean, absolutely nothing is promised to us in this world. But I think that people are so willing to like sleep in and accept starting their day later. Um, I think they're willing to sit in front of the TV and accept that that's time that is not, you know, I don't quote unquote have enough time. Like anyone out there that ever used that excuse for me, I would time all your day and I would find you hours where you could be more productive. I just think we like to take it for granted. Is that why you would, uh, you've considered yourself an efficiency whore? I'm such an efficiency whore, dude. Like it's stupid. Like <laughs> the, the, like my assistant is blown away by like the ridiculous lengths I will take to make sure I'm efficient. Um, but fit man like i i can achieve more in a day than most people because i value every second of every day like mm-hmm. it, it actually scare it actually scares me like and i mean physically fucking scares me like i'm so emotional about this to wake up after 6 30 in the morning yeah dude and i've like, heard i'm so i'm so scared that i'm gonna miss something like, i got fomo like a motherfucker but like <laughs> i like i'm so scared that someone else is gonna do more than me and you know, in a good way, right? Like, right. I, I hope there's someone out there like hustling and grinding and, and kicking my ass because, you know, it's what's going to move me. But like, yeah, like it's, uh, I, I know there's a lot to get done. And, you know, I also know there's a lot of people that need help, man. And I was that person one time. And if, if I'm not out there creating content and delivering to those people, then they're, they're getting a disservice. And that scares me too. Now, was that something that was kind of learned that happened over time or was this always the case? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent, man. So like the one thing people, and this is the first time I've ever said it publicly, uh, so this is like good for your podcast, but <laughs> one thing nobody knows about me, I am a lazy motherfucker. Like I, if left to my own devices, I would sleep on the couch all day. hundred percent. Right. And, and so, but, but like the reality of the difference is I found my passion and I'm so passionate that supersedes any desire to just lay on the couch. Absolutely. Awesome, and it, man. it's really funny. It's really funny. If you ask Gary Vaynerchuk, same exact thing. Right. He's so lazy at nature, but he also knows what needs to get done to be successful. And we just choose to do what needs to be done versus what you want to do. Yeah. Awesome, man. Now, what's the best advice that you've ever received? Oh, man, that's a tough one. Probably patience. Like, be patient and... I think it all comes back to patience, like in every walk of life. And so, you know, there's a video on my YouTube channel that I put up this past Thanksgiving where two years ago I was flat broke, right? Like I was overdrawn in my bank account. I I couldn't even afford a cup of coffee. I was on a ski trip with my girlfriend. Um, I, I remember waking up so petrified that I wasn't going to be able to buy her dinner on Thanksgiving night because I had no money. And for some reason, holiday, I have a check clear. So I had just enough money to get through that trip, right? But the weird part was, like, as freaked out as I was, I never questioned what I was doing. But I had just left a corporate job, and I was just starting really going all in on, like, the coaching and, like, saying, like, all right, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And I didn't question it. I was just like, it's a patience game. 
I, I got to keep doing what I'm doing. Um, and so the same goes with my clients. If my clients that are patient are the most successful, uh, the people that just do what they know is right, um, do what you know is right with, without expectation of an outcome. I think that so many of us gauge the validity of our actions based on some sort of perceived expectancy of an outcome. And I don't believe that's accurate, right? So mm-hmm. you're like, well, if I do this workout, I'll lose two pounds. Like, no, do the workout because you know you're supposed to do the workout. Like, if you gain a pound, cool. Like, no big deal. But you knew you were supposed to do that workout. It was part of your plan, and you did it. And I think that's what we all have to start living in the now and doing what we know is right without expectation of an outcome. I think that's, like, the real definition of patience. Yeah. I I really like, um, you know, hearing about, I guess, the struggles, the barriers and obstacles, um, you know, from people who, you know, have kind of, they've been through it and they've overcome it. And something that I think about that previous guests have mentioned this on the show before, and I've also seen Ben Bergeron highlight this a lot is like, if your thoughts were on a loudspeaker, right? Like, would you be proud of what's kind of going on? Like, how exactly are you talking to yourself? So I'm curious, what, yeah. what does your internal self-talk sound like when you're going through something, you know, pretty rough or, or a struggle or an obstacle? I think it all comes back to remembering why I'm doing what I'm doing. And that's so cliche. Um, like, I almost hate saying it, but it's like, that really is the crux of everything for me, man. Like, I'm, I, I just, I remember being, where was I? Like, I, I just came back from a trip. Where was I? I was in like Arizona. Um, oh no, I, I was in Vegas and one of my clients got a text or one of my employees got a text message from his client about success. And I was like, isn't it cool? Right. Like, and just saw like a smile on his face and he like lit up and like, you know, I don't care how rough it was that day. I don't, you know, I mean, talking to you today, I've been on two flights, two six hour flights in 36 hours and two four hour flights in that same 36 hours. Right. So I don't care how tired I am today. I don't care you know, what's going on in life, like the, the opportunities I'm afforded in this life and the fact that I'm alive and living and reaching people, like, man, that's epic. Like, the odds of even being a human being are super low. Like, the odds of being a human being gets to do, it's, it's insane. Yeah. And so I always really try to fall back on that, you know? Like, it doesn't mean it's easy. Like, I'm not sitting here being like, oh, to everyone out there struggling, like, it's easy, man. Just think about your why. Like, no, it's fucking hard. Right. But, at the end of the day, that ultimately, like when you find peace and you find solitude and you find the action that gets you out of a funk, it's always that same thing. You just have to find a way to manifest that one thought. Right. And I think something important to touch on is you said that, uh, you know, it's kind of cliche, but usually what I found is cliche advice is the stuff that you actually somehow always kind of come back to. It's just when you heard it, it didn't maybe resonate or it wasn't relevant to maybe whatever problem you were trying to solve. Like it didn't quite click with you, but you come back to but the- But there's a reason it became, there's a reason it became cliche. Yeah. Oh, there's a reason it got used as many times as it did, right? Right, right, right. Because it probably right. has some truth. It probably has some validity. Absolutely. Yeah. Like uh, something to think about is like, I guess if you, you know, were to listen to, let's say even this podcast, and then you were to listen to it again in like six months. And this is something that I did with yours, right? I I, I listened to the train heroic podcast. Six months later, I listened to it. And I got completely different insights out of it. You know, it was just like, uh, I was just paying attention a little bit more. That's really cool. Um, Yeah, no, I think the timing of, of the advice that you get can absolutely be important. Awesome, man. Now, okay, so let's, what are three things that you think of more than the average person? Oh, man. 
lack of time. So like my biggest asset is time. My biggest fear is not having enough time. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the second one would be body composition and body image. Okay. Because that goes back to the former anorexic in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and number three would be legacy. Um, you well, know, I, I'm like, sorry, what would number three so, be? Yeah. Uh, legacy. Legacy. Got it. I'm, yeah. Like I'm very, I'm, I'm beginning this like shift in my life. I'm 32 years old. It helped thousands of people at this point. And I think that if we close the book tomorrow, we passed away tomorrow, the legacy would be that I helped a lot of people. And that's really cool. I want to want to like revamp the way we do everything nutritionally speaking. I want to be the pioneer for the model. I want my coaching model to be the model that's used for hundreds of years beyond me. I want to lay a foundation where we don't go through generations of really shitty information. And I think that what we're seeing in today's society is a result of what was put out in our previous generation. And our previous generation was food quality without a quantity emphasis. And unfortunately, that's a bad application. Um, you know, our, the previous generation talked about low fat and low carb as if they were, you know, the only tool in the toolbox. When mm-hmm. in reality, it's one tool and there's got to be several tools used for several different purposes. And And so... You know, the notion that I would be remembered as somebody that helped people is very awesome. The notion that I can truly leave something that's going to propel the next generation to such a higher degree of success, um, that that gets me going. It's something I think about all the time. So piggybacking off of that legacy, right? Like, let's say if I was to give you a few billion dollars and you had a staff of 40 people, Uh right? Like these 40 people can be the top performers, top thinkers, the greatest people um, for whatever it is that you're recruiting them for. And you wanted to use that to make some type of change. uh, What would you do with that? I would take it like, I would give it to the people that are currently investing in education and allow them to learn application. And so like what I mean by that, right? I feel like there's this big like butting of heads in the public right now of should I go to college or should I get in the real world? Mm-hmm. In the entrepreneurial space, a lot of entrepreneurs are like, well, fuck college. If you got to hustle and you think you got a good product and just go out in the real world, take your lumps and do it. Um, I think that, you know, here I am, dude, 13 years and you know, I coached my first client. And I, the reason I am where I am is because I have application and Mm -hmm. the reason I win and the reason I'm successful is because we have application. And so I would, I would take that money and I would give it to the people that are investing in education because they've shown a keen interest in doing what they're doing and a clear passion for doing what they're doing. I'd give them the money to go out and live the application piece because once they get the application with the education, man, like they're going to be the ones that leave the next legacy of providing for the next generation. I think that's where you know, application and education when they meet, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. That's amazing. And I'm glad you brought that point up with education. Uh, I'm curious, like, what do you feel like maybe now and maybe in a couple years, like, what is the most efficient way to get education nowadays, right? Is it is it going the college route? Is it uh, doing, you know, online? Like, there's a lot of mentors that you may look up to who are putting out information online. Is it going and learning in person from mentors, seminars? What do you feel like uh, is kind of the future of education? So it's different for everybody, I think. Um, so true story, when I met Gary Vee, he had a video out there, and he said, fuck Harvard, give me 50 grand, and I'll teach you 
everything you need to know about business. And so I called his blog. So when I met him, I said, hey, I got a check in my pocket. It's made out for $50,000 to you. Let's do this. That's awesome. And he was like, write the curriculum. Let's go. And he was dead serious. He's like, let's get it done. He's like, go home, write the curriculum. Let's do it. And the offer's still open. Right? Like, my life has been insane. I don't think I could shut down my life and actually go spend it here with him. But, like, he was a man of his word. And so, but I think there's two different kinds of people. And so, I say that, and if I spent 50 grand with Gary, I would absolutely learn, and and I would take action because that's where I am in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was 24 years old and I hired my first business coach and my first, like, mentor, he told me to do all these things. And I thought, you know, because I was paying him to be part of my my staff, right, or or my, like, guru, um, like, team, that I was immediately going to get results. I didn't take the action. And so I think it, it really depends on like what's your maturity level, what's your ability to take action. There's some people out there, they need to go learn. Um, and with that learning, they'll develop confidence and they'll go out in the real world to implement. But then there's some young guys that are hustlers. They're going to go out there and they're going to implement and they're ready to take their lumps. So I'm not sure that there's one model that's going to benefit everyone. I think that you're going to see, you know, the next 15 to 20 years, you're going to see diversity in the routes that people go. Um, I think real-world application will always win in terms of long-term success. Like, I don't think that you look at any, like, mega billionaires and mega successful people that are not to where they are about real-world uh, application. But some of them have very fundamental levels of education and some don't. And I think that's the same that always exists in life. I agree with you because uh, it is a different game. Like, let's say you want to be a teacher, Right. And, and let's yep. say you want to be like a high school teacher, like there are certain protocols that you're going to have to follow. If you want to be a lawyer, there, you know, you can't be a lawyer without actually going to law school. So you have to understand, right. I guess, the game that you're playing. Um, but I think that we also hold information in, in with such a high regard, you know, like it's something like that people like people can listen to this podcast, people can listen to uh, any other podcast. And I guarantee Mike Bledsoe said this, he's like, if you don't listen to, if you listen to five episodes and it doesn't change your life, like come to me and I'll give you like your money back, right? It's just one of those things like, are you willing to, I guess, uh, are, are you aware enough to tackle uh, that application and that action? Like, do you ha- are you enlightened enough to take action on that? And I think that takes some time for people to find. Yeah, I mean, Listen, I could lay out the blueprint to all of your success right now. And me having that knowledge in my head doesn't do us any good unless you go take action on it. Right. And when a client, excuse me, when a client is successful with me, I always congratulate them, but I always thank them. And, you know, they say, yeah, but you did it for me. I said, I didn't do shit. Like, all I did was put words on paper. You took action. You right. did this, right? And And it's very freeing when a client truly understands that because... It's not me. It's my guidance, absolutely. But it's that. They're the ones that took action. They're the ones that took inspired action. And, and without that, like, there's no success. Yeah, definitely. And I guess the, the closing remark on that topic, I think, is you're right. It is going to be, I think, more diversified. And, and right now there's like this uh, taboo aspect still kind of attached to like if you don't go the college route and you decide to go learn from mentors or whatever it might be, like it's still kind of not the norm. Um, but I think you're right. There's going to be more diversification. It's going to be more socially accepted, maybe. Which I fucking love personally. Yeah. Because if Everyone asked me how I would have done it. If I had to do it over again, I wouldn't have gone to school. Yeah. Well, what would you have done instead with that time? I would have gone out and I would have just learned like the trade and I would have applied and I would have I literally 
I would have spent, I mean, you look at, like, let's just say 50 grand, right? Like, let's say we spent 50 grand on school, which is pretty appropriate. Mm -hmm. Um, I would have spent that 50 grand hiring every coach in my space and learning from them. Um, I would have learned what I liked as a client, what I didn't like as a client. I would have asked them 10 million questions to why they were doing what they were doing. That's the other thing. If you hire a coach and they won't explain themselves as to why they're doing what they're doing, fire them right away. Mm -hmm. Like, you are absolutely entitled to information as a, as a client. Right. Um, and that's like, that's one of my pet peeves. And I hear that all the time when I get, you know, clients from competitors in the space. It's just like, that drives me nuts. But, um, that's how I would have done it, man. I would have just, I would have hired all the top dogs. I would have gone to all the conferences, but like just showing up doesn't matter. Like you got to show up and be someone and do something. Yeah. And, and you're right with that because um, you look at it as kind of an investment, right? Like that 50 grand. 100%. Like the co- colleges still have a business to run as well, right? And now it's like that same 50 grand, maybe you could go to a seminar for $5,000 and then you could t- do online education for another $10,000 and then you could diversify it in so many ways. But now you have choice to go kind of tackle whatever sparks your curiosity. Well, we've all heard the quote, right? It's not what you know, it's who you know. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of truth in today's society. Um, if you're one of those people that can be, you know, enough of an extrovert that you can show up to somewhere and you'll like camp out outside of someone's room to meet them, right? If that's you and that's your personality and you're that much of a hustler, take that opportunity because having that person like in your network is going to do so many things. Mm-hmm. The fact that I can, you know, email Gary Vaynerchuk and I wouldn't call us quote unquote friends by any means, but I would say he probably knows who I am to this day because of the conversations we've had. And the fact that I have priority in his mailbox to some degree, actually that was worth every penny of the $5,000 I spent to be at that event that night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I, and, I... and so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's opportunity cost, right? Uh, if you want to put a business term on it, to me, it's opportunity cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, okay, let's let's go on to let's say you're still a billionaire, right? And uh, you could give two to three books to every person in the nation right now. Um, what two to three books would you choose and why? Oh, this is where the world's gonna hate me, um, dude. I can't tell you the last book I read. Um, I don't learn from reading. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm really trying to like rack my brain as to like what the last book was that had impact on me. Um, well, you have a bad question for me because I don't read. Right. I I consume, I consume my content today on, uh, on YouTube to be fair. Okay. Um, what, what type of content on YouTube would you say has had the most impact on you? Um, I think Gary Vaynerchuk, obviously number one, because, it's not just motivation without application. Like he's teaching you application within motivation. Like, um, I love Eric Thomas, but Eric Thomas is motivation. Like there's mm-hmm. no application in what he's doing. Right. And so if you just need to like get yourself out of the funk, like go listen to Eric Thomas. But if you need to really learn application as to how to move yourself forward, he's not the one for you. Um, I think Lewis Howes is, is pretty good. I think he's getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but obviously Gary is like my number one. I mean, I tell every single person it's not it's not fiction. Anyone that's run into me can tell you. I'm like, you guys got to consume this guy's content because this is what like if you look at every successful person right now, like 
our the world's attention is on social media or it's right. on it's on our smart devices. It may not be on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram or YouTube, but it's on our smart devices. So if you're not playing in that domain, you're not getting the attention of your target customer, irregardless of what business you're in. Mm-hmm. And and the truth is, and everybody would be surprised to know this, I fucking hate social media. Yeah. Like if I didn't if I didn't have to post to Facebook and Instagram, I would be so much happier. Yeah, I agree with But that. the reality is I, I understand that people's attention is there. I also understand that by me not expressing those thoughts to the world, I'm holding out on somebody's success. And that's a big driver as to why I actively participate in social media. Definitely. And I think uh, what you said, like that question isn't totally irrelevant to you because uh, books is just a way to kind of package it all together, right? Like you're still kind of uh, using certain things to uh, kind of learn and and have somewhat of an influence on you. It's just in a different medium. It's video instead of audio versus text. So the bigger picture is like finding, having the self-awareness to know what connects with you the most. Like a lot of people say that they don't read because whatever, they, they get, they can't get past the first chapter. They read too slow whatever. But if you connect with, you know, audible and audiobooks, or you connect with podcasts, that might be your ticket to, you know, constantly learning and, and doing. Yeah. And, and I agree. I mean, I think it's understanding how you like to consume content best. And again, that's don't let anyone out there that tells you they know what's best for you. Definitely, man. So do you have a morning routine? And if so, what does it look like? I do. It's wake up. Um, Grab Baxter, my dog, mm-hmm. get in the car, go to Starbucks. Um, we, uh, this is the very first thing I do every day is him and I go. And A, I just, I love that brief interaction with him. Just, it's, it's such a reminder of all things positive. I love my dog. Uh, it's also like 15 to 20 minutes to clear my head. And everyone's like, oh, you could just make coffee at home. And, but like that drive to Starbucks, that, that time in the drive through, the interaction with individuals that, you know, are working and, they're so nice and I make it a point to always be very nice. And just that, that way of starting my day, man, like it's so positive. And then I come home and, um, I write in the five minute journal and I talk about what my affirmation for the day is. I I write three things I want to achieve that day. I write three things I'm thankful for that day. Um, and then I get to work. Um, you know, recently I've, I've really spent, uh, I've moved to the East coast. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the last podcast and so on that I was on, I was in Arizona now in Tampa, Florida. Gotcha. And so my days used to start at like 7, 8 a.m. Now I started around 10 a.m. So I've actually spent a lot of time in the morning writing content. Um, I find that I, I think the most clearly and I write the best in the morning. Mm-hmm. So that's my content time. Um, I'm a very conscious time blocker. So like 7 to 10 a.m. is, you know, writing. 10 to 5 is client calls. Mm-hmm. 5.30 or 5 to 6.30 is workout. 7.30 to 9.30 is emails. 9.30, all technology, all this family, and um, and that's it. Like, that's every single day for me. It doesn't change. That's amazing, man. That's solid. Is there something you feel like you don't get asked enough about and something you wish people would ask you more? Actually, this is probably one of the best interviews I've ever done, to be completely fair, because I think that a lot of people get to see, like, the method behind my madness. Like, I think that I'm very well known for being a driven person and a person that will you know, work my face off and do all those things. And like, I just think that it, it, people, I don't ever want people to think it's just a hustle because I was born a hustler. Like I wasn't, Mm -hmm. um, I, I just, I have this notion that I have to add value. Um, 
and I and I want to use those words very clearly because I think that in the last year I've seen those those words get confused with the word giving, and and giving and adding value are two very different things. And so I always want to make sure I add value to people's lives, but I don't want to just give people things because giving a number one it may not be received, it may not be used, and then it's a whole waste of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to make sure that I'm adding value. So whatever it is I perceive that you're going to need, I want to help with. Um, and I think that's really, you know, that, that's something that I'm glad I think has come out in this podcast. That's huge, man. I appreciate that. Um, what would you say a coach or athlete should take away from this podcast if it was that one thing? How can they kind of make themselves better today by listening to this? Understand the way that you want to do it. Understand the things you want to do and the things you don't want to do. And stop doing the shit you don't want to do. Like right now, commit today. Stop doing the shit in your business you do not if you don't want to like, like I was at a, a business conference in December and this guy's like, I fucking hate writing training programs with Trainerize. I love writing them in the body of an email. I'm like, why the fuck are you using Trainerize then? Like, just write them. Yeah. I guarantee you, your client is not paying you for your knowledge because there's some pretty picture from Trainerize. They're paying you because they created a relationship with you and they want your knowledge in the training program. So write in the body of an email. And he was so caught up that like you do Trainerize all the other quote unquote gurus are pitching. And I'm like, bro, do it your way. You'll be so much happier. And, you know, we've connected since then. He's way happier. He's way more successful. So, you know, anyone out that's out there, coach or client, like, stop doing the shit that you hate. Like, everybody has their own lane to success. Clearly, mine was the way that everybody told me I could do it. And now I'm looking back at them with, you know, maybe middle finger in the air. But, yeah. you know, it's... Uh, you know, I, I, I've always done it my way. I've always encouraged my clients to do it their way. You know, we've got... My business services over 600 unique clients, um, and I would argue that all 600 of them are doing it a different way, and that's the that's the beauty of it to me. Absolutely, and I, and this reminds me of I think the difference between tactics versus strategy, and I think that most oh, people yeah. most people are chasing tactics so freaking hard it's insane, and and I'm really glad for me like of course I'm a tactic chaser too, and there's times for that, but very early on I realized like okay there definitely has to be an emphasis on strategy, and how I see that playing out today is you know. Um, I, I do have people that ask me about kind of like what I'm up to and how I did what I did, even though I'm like, dude, I'm still learning. I'm still in the process. Like you sh- you're better off asking somebody else. But the questions that I do get are like, you know, who made your website or um, what time do you post on social media or like these little things that I'm like, dude, out of all the questions, like that is not what you should be worrying about. Like focus on, you know, there's so many other things like bigger picture things that I think that people could uh, place their attention on. Uh, it's just that self-awareness aspect. It has to come first, I think, between tactics and strategy. Well, I think so many people, and, and I love, I love that you use the word tactics because I hate the marketing world right now because it's so tactical. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that so many people get caught up in the tactics. Like, you know, there's, some internet marketer selling you hundred stage funnels to get a client into your thing. And, and then, you know, this other person is telling you, well, you have to do it with this plugin for your WordPress site or, you know, like if it was the nutrition world, you have to automate because you're not going to be able to scale and work with enough clients or you standardize or right. Like whatever. And those are all out there. And I'm sure there's a lot of people have to be with those things, but it goes back to stay in your lane and do it the way you want to do and give up the shit you don't want to do. Like, mm-hmm. Your tactics will find you, and you should be able to easily identify them because they're the things that you want to be doing on a day-to-day basis. Because if you actually want to be doing it, guess what? You'll do it. 
Yeah. If you don't want to be doing it, there's a little chance that you stick with it for a long time. That's really profound, man. Um, awesome. So how can we support your journey? Where can we kind of find you? Where can we point people to? Yeah, so I appreciate that. Um, my website is just philipsnutrition.com. Uh, I do post content there a minimum once a week, usually twice a week. Um, you know, obviously social media, Jason Phillips on Facebook, uh, Jason Phillips Fit on Instagram. Uh, you know, and, and I'll say this, just like I said earlier, like reach out to me. I promise you will respond. Um, it, I can't say I'll respond like that day, but I absolutely respond to everybody. Um, you know, it's, uh, that means the world to me. Like the fact that you're taking time out of your day to reach out to me, I absolutely will do the same in reciprocation. Um, if I can help, please let me know. Um, yeah, I get a lot of value out of that. That's amazing, man. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Uh, this was such a fun conversation. Oh, it was great, man. I, I appreciate you having me on, and, and thank you for everybody that took the time to listen. Uh, I, I appreciate the hour out of your day. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I know you're probably driving right now. You're probably eating, cooking, working out. You're doing something else. But make sure you head over to theairbornemind.com. Check out some of the free coaching videos, warm-ups, guides, checklists, all the things that you can use to make the best use out of your training time. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you guys and it would really help me out so I can continue creating awesome stuff for you. And remember, the greatest compliment you can give is by sharing it with somebody else who might enjoy it or somewhere on the web. So once again, thank you so much for being a listener and supporting the show. Until next time.